Hi, this is Jay Lorenzen with the Military Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. Welcome to our second narrowcast on movements and movement building. We're continuing to wrestle with our calling of building movements everywhere so that everyone knows someone who truly follows Christ. This past week, I had a chance to interview Steve Addison via Skype. Steve and Michelle Addison are Aussies living in Melbourne, Australia with their four children and one dog. Steve has worked with YWAM in the past, has planted several churches in Australia, and is currently Director of Church Resources Ministries in Australia. Several months ago, I discovered Steve's blog, steveaddison.net, and found myself continuing to reference his thinking and research. Steve is doing a lot of work that has direct application to our own efforts at movement building. If you're not checking his blog often, let me encourage you to do so. Anyway, I got Steve online the other day for a quick interview on his five characteristics of dynamic movements. So here's our discussion. Summer in Australia there. That's right. And we've just uh, come back from our annual summer holidays, which is a bit unusual, I guess, for someone in the Northern Hemisphere. It's, yeah. it's January here. Yeah. Be somewhere up in the 90s today in terms of weather. Wow. Well, Steve, it's a little colder here, about 25 degrees above. Steve, tell us a little bit about your work with Church Resource Ministries. The CRM since that 1992. And my main work is in coaching and equipping church planters and in fueling church planting movements. That's great. Well, why don't we uh, start talking about movements? You know, within Campus Crusade, we've been challenged build movements everywhere so that everyone knows someone who truly follows Christ. And that, that little sort of mantra has got many of us thinking. And unfortunately, I think like a lot of organizations, we get stuck in our own little intellectual world, our own little experiences that we've had in the past. And, and one of my fears as a staff member with Campus Crusade is that we we tend to define things like movements and movement buildings from our own history rather than looking at them through a different lens. That's why I'm kind of excited to talk to you, uh-huh. someone outside of our world, but someone uh-huh. who's committed to understanding movements that expand the Christian faith. And so uh-huh. I'd like to know how you got interested in movements and have become a kind of lifelong student of them. Yes. Well, I think God had planted the seed in me right from when I came to faith. I mean, looking back, it was through the ministry of a guy called John Smith who started a movement amongst bikies called God Squad. He, he saw a need, saw these outlaw bikies weren't being reached, and started a ministry called God Squad. Now, I wasn't an outlaw bikie, but... It was through him, his ministry, and the example of their work that I realized God could change my life too. So, as, and I think most of us could look back on our Christian walk and, and we'd discover that the church is incredibly diverse and God is, is always raising up new movements to meet needs and to bring renewal and expansion to the Christian faith. But even in secular history, you know, I was on the campuses during the, I guess, the tail end of the sort of radical student politics days and saw the impact of movements around the world and on our campus. A little bit later, uh, saw the profound change that came to Eastern Europe and Russia with the downfall of communism and the beginning of that whole overturn of a an evil movement was a group of people called Solidarity in Poland and 
who were they? You know, Lech Wałęsa was an electrician who boasted never ever read a book in his life. But a group of people without nuclear weapons, without armaments, played a key role in the beginning of the downfall of, of communism. I began to look at religious and secular history and see whenever something needs to be changed, people come together and a movement emerges. Studied church history, studied the Reformation, and discovered that God is always raising up new movements, and nothing remains the same. Church history is the story of of people who've changed the world. It's not just the history of theology; it's the, it's the history of action. Then, I guess the next step in my development as a church planter was to discover, as uh, Peter Wagner says, that church planting is the most effective form of evangelism under the sun. I thought about that for a while and I thought, well, maybe starting church planting movements or movements for evangelism on, on campuses around the world, maybe that's an even more effective form of evangelism than just starting one new entity. So this, this grew in me and I began to read and study history from the point of view of movements. Uh, Bobby Clinton at Fuller, some of his writings influenced me. And Dr. Uh, Paul Pearson at Fuller, his teaching on expansion of the Christian movement. So a lot of reading took place and I began to distill some principles, especially in my work with church resource ministries as we try and fuel church planning movements, I began to ask, what, what, are the, what are the recurring themes throughout history of dynamic Christian movements that have made history? That's great, Steve. I think that's a perfect segue to a discussion of those five common characteristics that you found in dynamic movements. I believe the first one is white-hot faith. Yes. Whenever you see a dynamic Christian movement, I see uh, white-hot faith, uh, powerful encounters with God. So there's that sense of his presence and power equipping people for ministry, transforming their lives. But also, that f it's, it's not just the experiential side. There's a, a deep commitment to the scriptures, commitment to spiritual disciplines, uh, whether it's the Moravians with their accountability groups or, you know, John Wesley's movement uh, had similar groups that helped one another, people hold one another accountable. So there's, there's, a, there's a sense of dynamism and presence of God through His Spirit and the Word. And then there's a commitment to, to live out different spiritual disciplines. And they, take, they have different expressions in different movements. So there's, there's white-hot faith. Let me, let me um, just interrupt right mm, there for a second yeah. and ask you if that, you know, is your sense that white-hot mm -hmm. faith, does that tend to be, you know, in most movements in history, maybe those that you mentioned, kind of centered in one one individual, or is mm. one individual become mm. a catalyst for a small group of folks that kind of share that white hot faith? How would you mm. uh, characterize that in those movements? That's, that's a good question. There, there often, there are often key individuals or founding groups of people, but I think one of the differences between an unhealthy cult or sect. And, and a dynamic Christian movement is it's not just centered in the leader. They do what Jesus did, and, you know, Jesus' ministry came out of his experience of the Father, but he brought his disciples into that same experience, and then they took it with them. So his movement was not just controlled by him in that, you know, in that sense of a, a cult leader might. 
it wasn't just, it is centered on him. I mean, he's, you know, the son of God. And, but there is the, the reason for the, the, the power of the church in Acts is that, that Jesus brought his disciples into the same experience he had of the Father. So the best movements do that. They have a founder who embodies the movement, but then that founder empowers the movement and has a life of its own apart from them. This white-hot faith is the driving force of church history. It's the engine room. It's the sense of authority we have. It's the, the energy that moves it forward. The Reformation didn't just come out of Luther's study. It came out of Luther's wrestle with God. How can a holy God love me, Martin Luther? And, uh, you know, so that drove him to his study to try and understand the, the doctrine of, you know, justification by faith. But it was very much his experience of God, wrestling with God and the scriptures. Uh, but then that experience of justification by faith went everywhere beyond Martin Luther, and it became a, a dynamic force. That's great. The first characteristic was white-hot faith, and I uh, mm-hmm. have four other characteristics, I think. Yes, that's right. And uh, the second one I'd talk about would be commitment to a cause. It's uh, Movements aren't just about my experience of God. They're about changing the world. Every movement has a unique gift that God has given them. In the Catholic tradition, uh, their orders talk about their founding charism. So they have a unique call and high levels of commitment to that call. And obviously every Christian movement should share in what unites us all together as, as believers in Christ. But alongside of that will be a particular cause that God gives a movement. And there are high levels of commitment. And these aren't just, it's not an institution that's demanding commitment. It's the cause that draws people. And I like to say if if we could just be half as committed as the average professional sporting team, we probably would win the world to Christ in a very short period of time. But why are those people in that team committed? Because they, sure, they're getting paid well probably, but they also love the game. And there's something, there's an energy within them that drives them. And so movements have high levels of commitment. John Wesley rolls up to Bristol. There's 900 on the books and the Methodist Society there. When he leaves, there's 700 because he's brought discipline and he's removed the wife beaters, the smugglers, the drunkards. And they're a mission field, but they're not to be in the heart of his movement. They make high levels of uh, demand on one another and maintain that with uh, what I call commitment mechanisms, accountability groups, and just that internal correction that people know who we are and, and they know where they're going, and they expect that of each other. You look at the heart of Jesus' movement, high commitment. Plenty of avenues of access and connect with the world around and those who are checking things out. But if you want to be a part of the 12th, then he is going to expect a lot. That's great. Okay, so we have white-hot faith and a commitment mm-hmm. to cause, and I think your third third characteristic of dynamic movements is contagious relationships. Yes, it's, uh, it's that concept that we're half a dozen handshakes away from everyone on the planet. I guess people have heard of the concept of six degrees of separation. You can see this in Jesus' ministry. He is recruiting disciples who bring their, their friends or their family their workmates. Whenever you see the gospel 
expanding exponentially. It's expanding along networks of pre-existing relationships. So the people most likely to come to faith are those who have seen someone close to them, have, that they've seen their life change recently. It's how movements grow. It's how they recruit workers. It's how they do evangelism. It's why you see that rapid growth because those networks uh, are already in place and the gospel continues to spread across them. And this works in the secular world. It works with, uh, you know, take up of new technology or works with how fashion spreads or any fad or trend. It's the way God's made us. You know, the Internet's fine and you can actually see the contagious relationships on the Internet. But even more important are those face-to-face relational encounters where, you know, friends and and family members and workmates uh, gossip the gospel. Right. That's great. I, I'm sure you've read Rodney Stark's book on early Christianity and his his, yes. his discussions of the relationships that were built because of the way the Christians lived and interacted with their neighbors and kind of the geometric principle eventually kicking yes. in in that. So mm. That's great. Okay. Well, let's go on to your fourth characteristic, rapid mobilization. Yeah, and this is simply the concept, everybody has a job to do. Movements don't abolish the clergy, they abolish the laity, ordain everyone for ministry. And, this, and again, you see it in Jesus' ministry. Even before the woman at the well has come to a full understanding of who he is, uh, she's off uh, telling her town and village about this man that's told her all about her life and bringing them to see Jesus. Right from the first steps in Christian discipleship, people are mobilized for ministry, and there are no artificial or non-biblical barriers to entry. You know, so the U.S. frontier was won by the Baptist and the Methodists because they mobilized, you know, young adult, single males on horseback, uh, well, this is especially the Methodists, as circuit riders, as preachers. Asbury in the U.S. and then and before him Wesley in the U.K. were were just criticised for releasing ordinary people to spread the gospel and to lead groups of believers. Wesley would not apologise for it. He felt that these common ordinary people were ministers of the gospel. So movements just don't create those artificial barriers that keep people out of ministry that professionalizes uh, ministry. There's nothing wrong with being a, a minister or a church leader. It's not The problem isn't the clergy, the problem is clericalism, which is a concept that somehow there's a class of people who do ministry and everybody else is on the sidelines. So it's all hands on deck if you're in a movement. Uh, Let me just ask you a side question on that one in particular. What's the balance Uh between rapid mobilization and empowering young believers and the whole process of discipleship and development Uh and leadership development? What is there a tension there, or am I just Uh sort of misunderstanding, Uh you know, how that rapid – where in a sense, you know, some of the church planning literature that I've read is don't be very, you know, the, the uh, idea is don't be very professional because you don't want to create a standard that's so high uh, that it couldn't be reproduced very quickly by yes. the normal young believer or the new Christian. Uh, kind of reflect on that a little bit uh, for me. Yes, that's a, a good question. And, and the reason for the rapid mobilization is that movements create learning opportunities in what we call leadership farms. 
And so I, the best example I could think of this is my boys are we play Aussie rule f- rules football. So from a young age, they're learning pieces of the game and putting those pieces together and step by step, they're, they're growing in how to play football. And it's the same for movements. They put everybody to work, but then the best movements, and, and Wesley was great at doing this, they create uh, supportive environments where as people are doing their learning, and so his horseback riders, his circuit riders, they may have started out uneducated, but they didn't stay that way. They were continually reading. They were educating others. They were even selling, you know, educational literature to the common people and raising the level of everybody's education and learning. And so the key balance is you throw people in the deep end and then you build supportive environments and relationships around them so they continue to learn as they do. George Patterson is a great, was a great practitioner of this in Honduras. Roland Allen's written some stuff about this. It's very important that people learn by doing and they have mentors. They, that their learning is field and life driven. It's not just the, the fact I have to pass an assignment that I need to study this book of scripture. It's because I need to teach it next week to a new brand band of disciples. And so help me understand this piece of scripture so I can go and teach it and then let's debrief how it went. So that's the model. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Great, great summary. Uh, Very helpful. Okay, we have white hot faith, commitment to a cause, Uh contagious relationships and rapid mobilization. And your fifth one was adaptive methods. Speak to that. That's right. Well, I and I struggle with the name there. I think I'll settle on adaptive methods. I wondered about organic methods. It's it's the idea that well, with commitment to the cause, we're saying there the gospel does not change. The heart of the Christian faith never changes, and movements are very rigorous in that conservative side of the faith of saying there are some things that will always be true about the Christian faith. But dynamic movements, are, are while they're very conservative, they're, they're radical in their methods. In other words, they won't change the message, the heart of the message, but in different contexts, in different situations, they adapt how that message is communicated or what the structure and the form of the church or the mission agency looks like or how we do evangelism. Everything, we're willing, we're willing to change everything about us in order to get the job done except the heart and core of our message. If uh, the internet is going to make an impact, we'll do that. Formers, if it's the printing press, let's roll out so everybody's got the scriptures but it's also how we deliver our leadership training it's uh, you know why is god using alpha seeker focused bible study groups have had a huge impact so why is that working what what is it about that method and movements pick these things up and continually changing their methods but never changing their message Okay, now you teach these often uh, mm-hmm. in church planting. Are there some some of these characteristics that tend to resonate, or do all five tend to just have the sort of same sort of impact? Well, my my bias, and I think when you look at those five, most people won't be surprised by them. I don't think I've I've stumbled across anything radically new. I've just put it in a way that hopefully people can grasp. 
But, you know, my biases, we all have them, is white-hot faith. So when I teach it, I think people like to hear about that because I'm really motivated and I go over time. And, but if I took a step back from just how I'm wired, I'd say it's important to hold the five in creative tension. If your bias is white-hot faith, you may need to be a bit more intentional about some of the others. You Maybe you've, you've neglected adaptive methods and to do something about it. Baking a cake, you've got to have the ingredients in, in the right balance in order to pull it off. Great, great. Okay, now you've mentioned uh, the Wesleyan, and I've read about the Moravians in your blog, and also St. Mm-hmm. Patrick, and you tend to kind of value the study of historical movements. Maybe you can just mm. talk about why you value that, mm. and then reflect on some of those historical movements that, that are particularly instructive. If, we, if our audience mm. was going to choose one or two to begin to wrestle with, where might they begin? Mm. Well, the reason I like history is because it gives you long time frames and you can see the impact of decisions that movements have made in one era. You can see the, the how it's, it's played itself out, either for good or for bad. You know, one example would be in the early church, as Constantine came to faith in early 4th century, the church must have been delighted. You know, the emperor is now a believer and he's helping to fund the thing. He's giving us tax relief and and, and people are flooding into the church. And no doubt there was a lot of good in that, but it also had pretty bad ramifications for the intermixing of the state and the church and actually the decline of the Christian movement in terms of being a dynamic missionary movement. Now, we could only work that out by sitting back looking at centuries of time and then to see, well, what did what, what was happening? What was God doing in response to that? Well, we see the emergence of the monastic movement and other renewal movements and we learn, oh, okay, the church, even the early church went into decline. God raised up fresh expressions of the church. So that's that's really, you know, stepping back and looking at the long time frames that, that really brings instruction because we may make heading down tracks that others have headed down centuries ago and we want to know what are the, what are the likely consequences. So I love to see how movements are born, how they grow, uh, how they plateau, how they decline and die. How are they revitalized? Uh, Life cycle isn't uh, automatic. A little bit like we see with the people of God in the Old Testament. Why are those evil kings in there and the good kings? And they're they're for our instruction. In terms of, um, you know, helpful ones, I think there's a lot of information about Methodism. It just, I don't know why that is. Uh, well, they, you know, Wesley loved to keep records, so perhaps that's why. But so if, if you want a lot of information, the Methodist movement's a good one to start. In terms of movements that are particularly health, helpful, I would say it depends what your ministry context is. If we took, say, Campus Crusade as an example, there's a couple of great case studies. One would be student Christian movement, which was really the first evangelical movement amongst students that helped birth the student student volunteer movement, I think it was, and saw thousands of university students come to faith and, and go into world missions. But as a movement, it, it grew, it plateaued, it declined, and it's on death's door because 
you know, it, it moved away from its evangelical heritage. Now, it's pretty hard to get information about SCM. You'll find a bit on my blog, and this is a bit of an advertisement, but sometime in the next few months, I'm, I've got a major case study that I'll release. Uh, and alongside of them, InterVarsity, which is close on 100 years old now, and it's a different movement to Crusade, but let's, let's learn something from another evangelical movement that would be instructive to us. And then the other thing I would do is study your own history of crusade what what's the founding charism what's the redemptive gift that god has given us how can we be true to it and how can we make an innovative return to our tradition so that we hold in tension who we are as a movement with a changing context steve if you could say one last thing to our staff in terms of movement and movement building what would that be yes well, I, I think, as I mentioned before, I understand your heritage and thank God for it. What, what, what redemptive gift to the whole body of Christ and to the advance of the kingdom has God given Campus Crusade? What must never change about Crusade? And that's very much what we call your founding charism. So understand what that is. But then you need to realize you're in a fresh context, different contexts. Take those five principles, and they're not rocket science, and wrestle with them. Ask yourself, how do we give expression to these principles that are shared about in our context? Realize that what they are, they're, they're more of a compass than a map. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, we, we see revealed how Jesus started the world Christian movement and how it was continued on in the early church. It's, it's not a map. It's a compass. So uh, in our context, how do we take those unchanging principles and apply them uh, where we are now? And it's going to be a wrestle. It's going to be messy. You know, the five principles look really neat and tidy, but real life is very messy. thing to remember, I like to remind people, is that history uh, is made by people who don't know any better. You know, history is made by people who don't know it can't be done. So you've got the scriptures, you've got the spirit, you've got that founding gift, that founding charism that God has given crusade as a movement. Go and make a mess. And God is faithful. He'll show up. Yeah, that's fantastic, Steve. Thanks so much for being part of this, and I hope we can get you on again. And Well, that concludes our interview with Steve Addison. I hope you'll take some time to review his five characteristics of dynamic movements. White-hot faith commitment to a cause, contagious relationships, rapid mobilization, and adaptive methods. No doubt you found this podcast at the onmovements.com blog site. I hope you'll follow up on some of the research that I posted there on movements and on movement building. Take a special look at some of the links to some of Steve's research. That's also listed there. I hope you've enjoyed these podcasts. If you have any feedback, feel free to send it to me at onmovements at gmail.com. Jack got a big ass sound of hell Four little children and a wife named Jill There's nothing they live without He's got the alphabet before his name Seven digits salary and a good golf game And he figures this is what life's all about He's got a weekend cabin out by the lake he Likes to throw parties and drink all day With his corporate yuppie friends 
then he goes back home and he finds a way to fill this void that he's tucked away. But you see, it's getting hotter and hotter to pretend. Just another broken, just another broken, hallelujah. Just another broken, just another broken, hallelujah. We've been talking a lot, just see about life and theology and how there just must be something more. He says, Can I really have a brand new star with guilt and fear? They fall apart, or am I too late? Because my life's already on chapter four. So here we were on the 10th of September day. I will always remember where redemption blew like the wind. Heaven waited in anticipation, a driveway, an awkward location. Grace amazing surprised me once again. Just another broken, just another broken, hallelujah. Just another broken, just another broken, hallelujah. Definitely apropos. I guess you just never know how the infinite, the finite will play themselves out. Cause the greatest miracle I've found was late summer, early fall, three houses down. I can still hear the angels singing. So here I sit, writing this song, trying to convey, but not too long enough detail, but vague enough for you to enter in. Well, for whatever it's worth, Jack's found peace in a brand new birth. Cause you see, it only matters how you finish, not where you begin. Just another broken, just another broken, hallelujah. 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 Just another broken. Named Jack got a pink house on a hill Four little children and a wife named Jill And there's nothing they live without